1: is the U.S. skidding toward recession. Hi everyone, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. Hi Darius, great to see you.
0: Hey, Maggie, it's a pleasure to be back with you. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thanks, I'm doing well. We. Uh are looking at kind of mixed action in the market today. We had the Dow up, NASDAQ lower, equities just closed here as we're speaking. Treasury yields fell a little bit, but it seems like the focus has really been on some of this economic data that's been coming in. Much of it this week weaker than expected, including those um, private payrolls, ADB private payrolls we had today and ISM services index. What is your dashboard suggesting? Is the US economy headed toward recession? What do you see happening?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's we've been saying this for a while now, but A, U.S. economy is very, very resilient for a variety of different factors, which we can unpack. And as a function of the resilience, the Fed is going to tighten more than the markets are anticipating. Both of those things have been realized, both in the data and in, uh, in market and, and in Fed reaction function terms. And as a function of B, C is we're going to wind up in an economic downturn. I happen to believe the economic downturn we're likely to experience is something that's likely to commence. Our models would suggest that it's likely to commence sometime in Q4 of 2023 or the very latest Q1 of 2024, that may be in the process of being pulled forward. I'm not sure we have enough data to confirm that or not. But ultimately, I think the number one thing that I think market participants are missing is they're debating soft landing versus mild recession, where we're debating mild recession versus severe recession. And I think that's something that's a that's a that's a debate that the market is eventually going to be forced to have, I think, sometime in the second half of this year.
1: Yeah, and you kind of see that playing out now because when the weak data first started coming in, everybody was, or certainly equities, I shouldn't, certainly shouldn't say everyone, but equities were like, oh, this means the Fed's going to pivot. And then all of a sudden now they're trying to fill in like, well, what what does that mean if the, if the data is coming in weak or if the market is pricing in, eventual Fed easing, which we can talk about whether you agree with that. Ha, what happens in the interim to get us there? I mean, that's the the thing the market seems to have glossed right over.
0: Yeah, I've been saying that for a while now, but we're not going to get the drugs without going through the soup first. And then the soup <laughs> is the economic downturn, and ultimately the market pricing in of that economic downturn that gets the Fed's attention to supply the market with the liquidity that it needs to, you know, have experienced extended bull markets. You know, we've been in this sort of what we call phase one liquidity cycle downturn since going back to the fall of 2021. And we've been on this program talking about, you know, helping investors, you know, protect their hard-earned capital, you know, from that part of the process. We are now in the part of the process where markets are appropriately trying to discount whether or not this is going to be a soft landing or if we're ultimately going to wind up in what we call the phase two uh, credit cycle downturn, which is the result of that, all that liquidity reduction uh, that we're seeing. And on that liquidity reduction, we are now starting to see you know some pretty significant uh, moves lower in things like you know M1 uh, bank deposits and in, in small regional banks. Brian, if you throw up chart uh, 100 from our uh, March macro scouting report, we just contextualize you know the move in liquid deposits from some of these um, some of these small regional banks. And I, I don't even want to say the word small. That's what the Fed calls them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the 4,000 let's call it 675 banks that are not you know in the top 25 in the U.S. banking sector are technically small according to the Fed and their H8 um, um, uh, release. And this chart shows we're currently drawing down liquid deposit these institutions at a rate that we've never seen before in like the 60-something, 70-something year history of the time series. So that's very concerning. Also very concerning is the fact that M1 is contracting at its fastest pace ever at down 5.8% year over year. Bad things happen when liquidity in the private sector starts to evaporate and deflate the way it does, and you don't have the commensurate amount of money reflation out of the public sector. And in order to get that money reflation out of the public sector, I'll tell you two things that can happen. Uh, If you throw up slide 29, Brian, where we show the inflation indicators uh, in our our macro scouting report, whether it be median CPI compounding at 7.5% on a three-month annualized basis, trim mean CPI compounding at 6.2% on a three-month annualized basis, whether it be median PCE at 5.2, trim mean PCE at 4.7, and the Fed's core, uh, their, their preferred inflation gauge at 4.8 percent. All these numbers are compounding at levels that completely remove the Fed from the liquidity supplying business for an extended period of time, in our opinion. And so ultimately, we think the Fed knows that, and which is why, if you look at slide 46, Brian, they're forecasting a mild recession. You know, if you look at their forecast or they, if you look at the most recent summary of economic projections, which we got a couple of weeks ago, their uh, target for the year for the unemployment rate for year 2023 is 4.5%. Um, that current unemployment rate, we're going to get the number on a couple of days, but the, the most recent one for the month of February is 3.6%. So if you look at that implied 90 basis point delta. There's never been a 90 basis point delta to the upside in the unemployment rate in the history of the time series, going back to the late 1940s, that didn't coincide with the red bar in that chart, which is a recession. And so it's our belief that because inflation's too sticky, because the Fed is implicitly forecasting a mild recession, their response in you know liquidity provision terms, i.e. that unencumbered QE and those rate cuts that we ultimately really want as investors, it's going to take a while in our opinion. And that taking a while is going to be a problem for asset markets in the second half of the year, in our opinion.
1: Yeah. So what what happens, where are we with inflation? We're getting some indicators out uh, next week, some important gauges on that. Would you expect to see that fall in line with the fact that we are seeing economic growth fall and maybe the labor market weaken? Should we expect to see prices fall as well?
0: Yeah. So inflation is likely to continue deteriorating and decelerating, but it's just not decelerating fast enough. I mean, that's the problem with you know, analyzing and uh, so this is this is the problem with most investors looking at inflation on a year over year rate of change basis. They're being sort of tricked, if you will, I don't know, for lack of a better word, by the change in the base effects. And then I realized that inflation and on a, on a sequential basis is still compounding at levels that are very wildly inconsistent with the Fed's price stability mandate. And so at best, we're talking about a Federal Reserve that is set up to pause, even if you know, even as inflation continues to decelerate. And I happen to think it, it will continue to decelerate. If you just look at the data point we got today in the ISM services uh, release, you know, we, had, uh, we saw the prices component a uh, slow 6.1 points to uh, 59.5. That 59.5 is the lowest number we've seen since July of 2020. And that minus 6.1 delta is the sharpest deceleration we've seen since May of 2017. So inflation is decelerating. It's just decelerating to levels that are extremely inconsistent with the Fed's 2% mandate, price stability mandate. And until we get some indication that it, to inflation is going to sustainably get to 2% and remain there, and I don't understand how you can get to that indication if we're not even compounding at 2%, let alone with the fully employed American economy, I just think it's going to take a while for us to get that liquidity that investors are uh, speculating on in the markets right now.
1: Yeah. Do you think that the Fed has any more rate hikes in store? Because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we kind of flipped right to, oh, they're, especially in the wake of the banking crisis, they're going to be easing. They're going to be, you know, cutting rates. Do you think they pause? They keep hiking? I mean, you know, where where or how do they deal with those two very different issues that they're addressing, both the on the banking side and on this sticky inflation side?
0: Well, Powell more or less called it out, which is, you know, they don't really know the full extent of the, the credit contraction we're likely to see as a function of this sort of you know revision in the li- asset liability max of these, these regional banks. Moreover, the, the changing regulatory environment that's likely to come by, you know, we're still in a democratic regime. They still have full control over all the regulatory agencies in America. So we're probably going to see tighter regulation for, uh, for some of these banks as well. So we we're going to see the asset base. And these institutions really start to decline. So that's an issue. The Fed knows that that's a pending issue. And so they're likely, as, he, as, he, as, as Powell uh, communicated in the press conference, they're very likely to take it easy on rates. We may see one more rate hike. In fact, I do think if, if, the, if the jobs report comes in in line as it's expected to, uh, or sort of come in, comes in in line with where it's currently expected by you know, Bloomberg consensus, for instance, I think we will see another rate hike. Because I think ultimately what's happening, this is, the market, this is an economy where the Fed has barely gotten the policy rate restrictive enough to really do a lot of damage and the risk that they pause too soon and allow asset markets to reprice growth and inflation expectations from a nominal gdp perspective higher will ultimately cement all those numbers that we highlighted in terms of the four to five to seven percent you know median and core underlying inflation type measures we're going to be stuck there is what i'm saying if the fed allows asset markets to take their pause pivot and run away with that to the upside, both in market pricing terms and inflation expectations terms. So I don't think they want to do that. I think they want to, you know, act up for as long as they possibly can. But ultimately, that pivot, you know, that pivot that's coming is going to be a pause. And the the, the, the issue with pausing here, in our perspective, from our perspective, is that pausing is not going to be enough from the perspective of the long, invariable lags of monetary policy. If, if we are right on recession commencing by Q4 of this year or Q1 of next year. Causing ain't going to help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to be cutting interest rates and doing QE. And that's the issue. And I think that's going to be a big issue for asset markets. They're going to have to use their price action to tell the Fed to deliver the drugs, uh, by the, in my opinion, by the end of the third quarter.
1: Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
1: Yeah, and this is – I mean, the, you know, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester was sort of suggesting the same thing, that they need to go a little high there, higher to deal with inflation. But as you just pointed out, they're really – and as many – you know, we've been having these conversations for the last few weeks. Certainly, you and I for a while, but but is really picking up steam with the folks we have coming on, saying, "Hey, hang on a second. The Fed's really stuck in a very bad spot here. Because if they do that, Darius, doesn't it just exacerbate some of what we're, the strains we're seeing in the banking sector? If they, if they, if they don't, if they
0: uh, yes and no, they I mean, ease.
1: you know, if they if they try to hike again, doesn't that just create more pain for the in the in the banking sector?
0: Yeah. That, so, so yes, the answer is yes. The way I would couch the answer yes is this is kind of what they wanted, right? The Fed didn't hike interest rates so that there would be zero strain in the banking sector so that banks could remain extremely profitable and continue to extend credit. That's not why they hiked interest rates. Mm. They hiked interest rates to cause strain in the banking sector so that they could slow the credit machine and ultimately sold the real economy. And it, you know, alleviates some of that pressure from a supply and demand perspective in the labor market. This is what they want. They don't want banks going like bust, you know, week after week and, you know, the, you know, have a full scale banking crisis. What they want is more, you know, that's like a, you know, I liken it to an airplane analogy, you know, when you're flying and you're about to get to your destination, where you're 25 minutes out, captain comes on and says, are we going to begin our you know, initial descent? And you go from like 35,000 feet to 10,000 feet. And then you go from 10,000 feet to, to, to the ground in the second phase of the, the descent. The Fed wants that process. The Fed doesn't want the process where the captain comes on and, and drops the, you know, the oxygen mass out and says, you know, brace for impact at 35,000 feet. That's the bad part. You know, both outcomes land on the ground with lower inflation and higher unemployment. But one is a more desirable path than the other. And I think that's what the Fed is trying to, to accomplish.
1: Yeah. And you didn't mention all that turbulence and chop as you make your way down, too. I thought that's where you were going with that analogy. And that would be accurate as well, because it's not, as anyone knows, once you start to make that descent, it's not smooth flying. It's often, you know, where you hit all the turbulence. Um, We do have some questions coming in. We're going to get to them in a second. But for those. So it's interesting that we're having this conversation for those. I had a chance to sit down with uh, Harris Coverman today, and we, we talked about some similar things. He's taking a really deep look at um, oil, the energy sector, especially in light of OPEC's production cut. But he was concerned, also concerned, about this issue of sticky inflation, what it means for the Fed. And he's actually worried that we could see both a banking crisis and an energy crisis at the same time. Let's have a listen to that clip you don't hear a lot of people talking about an energy crisis. You hear them talking about a banking crisis. You hear them talking about a hard landing. You hear them talking about, you know, a knock on demand destruction off the back of that. So it sounds like if the markets doesn't have their head wrapped around this, where's the pain trade, you know, what suffers as a result of this?
0: Well, I think consumers are going to suffer. I mean, we could have a banking crisis and an energy crisis simultaneously. There's nothing that says you can't. I mean, in the 1970s, we did both. I kind of think we're going to do both. Um, you know, I think the pain trade is anything tied to uh, interest rates. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, at some point in the not-so-distant future, uh, Powell is going to have to make a choice between saving the banks and, you know, chasing oil across the screen. And I, I think he's going to decide to save the banks uh, just because that's probably the more politically expedient thing to do. And he's going to let inflation run really hard. and. You know, I think the the net result of that is the 10 year probably falls apart and then all the banks fail because you know if the 10 year goes to some high single digit number I mean I don't think you have any banking sector it's not just the little you know kind of fragile ones uh, I think you're going to have like a, a banking crisis with an energy crisis I, it, I mean I think it's going to look a lot like the 70s Yeah and that
1: was only a little small part of that uh Kupi had a lot of strong out of consensus views, including some very blunt warnings about bonds, but it was a fantastic conversation. I encourage all of you to watch the whole interview. And he does talk about how he's positioning and trading around this setup. If you're not already a member, scan the QR code, come and join our community. This is the exact time we need to be having these kinds of conversations. But Darius, it is out of consensus. Certainly not everyone agrees with what Copy's saying. The one thing I will say, though, is he's a little bit, hes this is his longer term thesis. So I think it's kind of important to put that out there. But could do you see this as a possibility? Could we have a banking crisis and an energy crisis, like an oil spike at the same time?
0: I think it's all one and the same thing. And yes, I very much agree with him longer term. I don't know that I would use the word crisis, because I think what's more likely to happen is just persistent capital outflows from the U S economy, which by the way, we doubled our net international investment position in the 40 years to 2021. A lot of that capital has to go into find homes elsewhere as the, you know, for lack of a better word, U S bond market seems, you know, permanent <laughs> impaired. I mean, we're obviously going to get a, a, a rally in bonds in, in the context of a business cycle downturn, but I don't think we're going anywhere near where we were prior to this, you know, COVID prior to this, uh, you know, most recent business cycle. So in our opinion, bond yields, Are likely to make higher highs and higher lows over the long term and that's likely to be supported by persistent capital outflows you know weaker dollar um, and then ultimately a weaker dollar should continue to reflate energy prices and oh by the way this is all very consistent with the fourth turn. and so you think about where we could be at this you know in this moment in the next business cycle i.e very late cycle very high inflation fed fighting inflation we're all going to be doing that process from higher, you know, from a higher low, higher highs in bond yields, lower U.S. dollar values, higher energy values, and ultimately, we're talking about you know a situation which could be bumping up against what could be ultimately like the, the 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 pinnacle of this fourth turning that we've all been living in. From a geopolitical tension standpoint, from a domestic tension standpoint, there's a lot of stuff ha- coming at us over the next five to seven years that I think you know ultimately will feel like an energy crisis and a banking crisis simultaneously because there's a lot of capital that's been damned with like a like water dam into the US economy that is probably likely to find a home elsewhere. So I, I tend to agree with them, maybe just not in terms of in terms of the acuity of the, of the whole situation.
1: I think that's a really important comment, Aris, and I think this plugs together. A lot of times we hear people talk, and they seem to have really, really opposing views. But I think you just explained it really nicely that this is part of a major shift, and so sometimes the timing's off. But when you hear ta- people talking about a, a you know disinflation or deflationary impulse coming and buy bonds, and you have to ask them always what their time horizon is because they may believe that short term, but but if you go further out the time horizon they may swing back to where cuppy is and cuppy's as a hedge fund manager kind of looking for that next move so they may be connected and have more in common than they would appear to have at the surface so i love the way that that you just explained that um and and i love the ca- the idea of the ca- the damned up capital of having to find a, a home elsewhere i think that's going to be a really important shift and change isn't it
0: that's going to be a huge challenge for for the, for the U.S. government for a long time, and I'm not one of these people that says, okay, interest expense is here, therefore the government's bankrupt. That's nonsense. We're still the reserve currency. But I am one of these people that understands that the term premium, let's use a 10-year example, in the bond market is still deeply negative. It's somewhere around minus 60 basis points. That's not going to remain the case in the context of secular capital outflows from the U.S. economy, a persistently weaker U.S. dollar, and persistently high inflation. I spoke about our sec- inflation model uh, on this program and in quarters past. And, you know, that model is currently tracking it around 3, 2.9% for the stationary mean of the core PC time series, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's almost double from where it trended at pre-COVID. And more importantly, it's it's above the Fed's 2% inflation target. So unless they change the the goalposts, move the goalposts, which I happen to think they're probably going to when the uh, gets higher enough, but they won't be able to change the goalposts until then, you know, unless they change the goalposts, Inflation is going to be persistently higher than their, you know, their, their price stability mandate. Recall that we're exiting a regime where inflation was persistently lower than their price stability mandate, which gave them political air cover to consistently remove duration and treasury supply from the market, which made it very easy for capital markets to function, very easy for stocks and bonds and crypto and everything else to appreciate, made it very easy for us to buy Lambos and go on you know, many vacations. It's going to be the exact opposite we're going to have a federal reserve that's going to be persistently tighter relative Mm -hmm. to where we've been in years past. And that comes with a whole different set of asset allocation instructions and rules. And ultimately, it's just going to be a much more difficult environment to generate returns from being just naked long of beta and expecting Fed to consistently supply the market with liquidity. And I think that's a a multi-year process. I don't mean it sound like that's something that you need to price in today or tomorrow, but I think this is the regime that we're in. And I think the sooner your viewers and our viewers, realize that's the regime we're in, the better they will reorient their strategic investment objectives to account for that.
1: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Right, which is why we keep hearing people say, and and in fact, at one point, Cuppy said it's a, it's a great environment when when he was talking about you know a dual crisis. And I said, well, that you know that watch the interview, everyone. But I, and I you know challenged him on that and said, what does this mean? Doesn't this? And he said, it's a great inv- uh, time to be a macro investor. And this is what we all have to wrap our head around now. It's a much more complex Willie, landscape. Maggie, you're
0: not, you're- Go ahead. 100%. And, and you never want to be the smartest gal in the room in a trending market or in, in, in the same regime. Where it pays to be the smartest gal in the room is during regime change. Because mm-hmm. that's where the money is made. If you understand, if you understand the this transition to different regimes sooner than the rest of the market, sooner than all the beta and the passive flows associated with the previous regime, that's how you can set yourself up to make some uh, some, some very positive strategic returns. But absent that, I mean, I think it's just going to be a very difficult environment for the next. Five to seven years throughout the duration of this fourth turning until we finally get the big solutions that we need to the big problems that still lie ahead of us.
1: Right, right. And, and that's why, you know, we have folks like you coming on trying to and, and help guide everyone. So let's let's hit some questions. I'm, I'm looking at them cold. So some of them we may have already gone over, but we'll, I'll either skip through them or we'll add some more color to it. Uh, Sohab asking, uh, saying, hi, Darius, I'm a 42 Macro subscriber. Love your work. I wanted to ask if my framework is correct. Recession, hard landing equals shortage of dollars equals dollar rally. Is that correct?
0: Uh, yes, yes. By the time you get into the depths of the recession, generally speaking, you're talking about a, a severe destruction of private sector money that does tighten you know, credit conditions, you know, particularly in the money market. So you're likely to see dollar rally towards the middle back end of recession. The problem with trying to price the dollar rally in today is you still have China reaccelerating or accelerating from an economic standpoint. You have Europe still accelerating from an economic standpoint. So there's a lot of risk capital flow that is heading in those directions and that's what you're seeing from the perspective of the dollar eventually that will wear out in our opinion because again i don't think china we've done a tremendous amount of work on this She's very clear china is not stimulating enough to sustain a positive growth impulse well into 2023 and ultimately we still think europe uh, is on a lag to the u.s economy from the perspective of its business cycle by you know one to two quarters and so ultimately both of those positive impulses will fade and the risk capital that's chasing those markets today well, at the bare minimum stop. And if they, if it just stops, then you're going to, you're gonna be shifting capital back into the U S economy as investors start pulling back in the repo markets, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think the private sector money deflation that we highlighted as a, as a, you know, in terms of the M one contraction, deposit outflows, et cetera. I think that's all going to be dollar positive in the second half of the year. Maybe not from the early part of the second half of the year, but I think by Q4, you're probably likely to see stronger dollar if only on a transitory basis.
1: Yeah, and he and the follow-up part of that was, um, if so, could the moves in XAU reverse? Or is the relationship likely XAU. to break down as we get a rally in both? Gold, silver, XAU, Philadelphia Gold and Silver Index?
0: Uh, I, you know, I, I don't invest on the basis of zero percentile or 100 percentile readings being made in the future. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is this time is different. <laughs> yeah. I, I invest on the basis of you know assuming some mean or some state... And ultimately trying to be Bayesian enough to understand how far away from that mean or that steady state that that equilibrium we are. And so my in my opinion, yes, when the dollar starts going up, you're probably going to have a, de- a decline in gold. You're going to have a decline in, in anything that's inversely correlated to dollars, which is pretty much most assets. Mm-hmm. You know, your house is inversely correlated to the dollar. Bitcoin is inversely correlated to the dollar. Ethereum, gold, stock market, everything is inversely correlated to the dollar because the, the dollar is the global reserve currency. It's both assets are priced in generally speaking. So. so um, you know, th- it, it's a it's a multi-step process. You know, I still think we're in this phase right now where we're debating soft landing and mild recession, and neither of those necessarily requires a severe phase two credit cycle downturn, which yet is yet to be priced in. I think by the time we get to mid to late Q three, it'll be very clear that we're debating mild recession or moderate recession, in our opinion. And, you know, if we can you know stay on this trend with respect to like the ISM services data point uh, that we got this morning, for instance.
1: So this is a great question from Saul. In what sense does the bond market own the Fed? Several guests have stated that the Fed will have to cut due to the bond market pricing in the cuts. Why?
0: Yeah, so uh, if you throw up slide five where we show our our macro weather model, uh, we have about 20 different indicators in this this model tracking all the different 10 components of of ACRO. And and if you look at our interest rate component in the middle right section, we have two-year yields tracking it at minus 117 basis points below the benchmark policy rate. I mean, that's about as low as you're going to get, you know, in terms, of, in terms of like what the market is willing to price in relative to the, what the Fed is, is clearly guiding to. Uh, we're seeing this across a variety of short-term interest rate curve, whether it be the near-term forward spread, the three-month, two-year. I um, mean, you know, pick your, pick your short-term interest rate spread. They're all basically challenging the Fed and, and playing a huge game of chicken with the Fed. The markets lead the Fed, by the way let's be very clear about this the markets do lead the fed now, the problem with it from the perspective of risk market it's, it's be, i think risk markets have been away from understanding the process of get how we get the drugs of the fed the bond market can price this in because it's it's a it's a, it's a one-step process eventually the the bond market will be right but it's not the same necessarily the market's not going to be right because you have this thing called an actual economic downturn in earnings recession and ultimately. Policy in the, the 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 money creation in the private sector side of the economy is going to be too great or too deep. The deflation is going to be too great and I'll force investors to actually use those types of instruments to raise liquidity. You know to maintain their lifestyles or do whatever it is that they want. Right now, no one has to sell Bitcoin to go on their next vacation or feed their family. I think in six months, certainly by nine months, in our view, they will be selling Bitcoin to maintain their lifestyle and eventually they won't be able to maintain their lifestyle. And so that's my issue. That's my issue. And that's not an issue for the bond market, but it certainly is an issue for risk assets.
1: I love it. Darius, one thing I've learned about Real Vision viewers, they have a fantastic sense of humor. They like good music and they are ready to pull up for a happy hour anytime. Irish making a comment. Wait, no more Lambos! Exclamation point. Question mark. Exclamation point. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> um, OK, we have a, a yeah. from G Blackburn. Darius, can the banking system handle a credit crisis? What happens if credit really rolls over?
0: Sorry, uh, can you repeat that? My yeah, problem.
1: sorry. I think I froze, you froze. We're, we're ha- our signal's like not great, but we're going to push through. Um, G asking, can the banking system handle a credit crisis? What happens if credit really rolls over?
0: I mean, uh, it's, it's, I don't know that question uh, is answerable. Uh, by definition, if we having a credit crisis, the banking system is not handling it, right? If right. they're handling it, there will be a credit crisis. So uh, maybe, uh, by what, maybe, uh,
1: are we fully anticipating that um, that contraction of credit? Do you think the market or earnings are reflecting that? I mean, you know, there no, are, there are some talk that it can be. I,
0: I, I, there I've, are some people. I work on this. This is not. Yeah, so my view on this, and and you know, we've done a, a bunch of work on this in our in 42 macro. This is not the the issue in this business cycle. Is not necessarily credit or credit quality. Although I think in the commercial real estate, particularly office segment, we will have an issue in credit quality in the coming years, most likely starting next year. The cycle is that we have a live problem. So that in the previous credit crisis was an asset problem. You know, banks their assets. You know, we're just Wrong price, you know, they had to mark them down and ultimately that caused a lot of insolvency in the banking sector. And then ultimately, you know, all the, you know, kind of, you know, the unsecured lending that was happening in the interbank market really came home to roost and that was a big issue. That's not a, that's not really a risk at this point. The risk at this point is the liability side of bank balance sheets is going to draw down in a way that really, really ne- should materially negatively impact the real economy and ultimately negatively impact earnings and, and jobs and things of that nature. So this is more of a traditional business cycle in which the Fed succeeded in destroying private sector money, which is what it wanted to do. It was the whole point of tightening monetary policy to get inflation under control. You want to destroy private sector money. They are destroying private sector money. And ultimately, they're going to ride to the rescue some quarters from now with the reflation in the public sector money. But that's a process. Right now, we're on this mountain here, and we got to get to this mountain here, and there's a valley. And the valley is lower stock prices, lower digital asset prices, lower prices of houses and everything until... The Fed panics and blinks. The Fed is not going to blink with core PCE compounding at almost two two and a half times its price stability mandate, or the unemployment rate at basically a fifty-year low. They're going to blink when those numbers are reversed, and that, in my opinion, is a problem because we're at some very lofty valuations across many assets that you know are basically implying that they already blinked and they have not.
1: Mm-hmm. Hate to leave it on that uh, on that uh, foreboding <laughs> note, but but you know the, we well, we need the truth. Can I leave we it on to, a brighter you gotta note? Hear it. So no, I'll
0: leave it, I'll leave it on a brighter. I'll, I'll leave it on a brighter note than that. This part of the game is a lot less to do, in my opinion, than your ability or my ability or anyone's ability to analyze data and perfectly pinpoint where we are in the business cycle and what the Fed's going to do in response to that. This part of the game, in my opinion, has a lot more to do with you understanding your own strategic investment objectives are your investment objectives trying to make get rich quick because if you're trying to get rich quick you're probably looking at a chart of bitcoin and s p and you're buying it here if your investment objectives are to make a lot of money in bull markets don't lose a lot of money in bear markets i would argue 99 percent of investors should be doing then this is probably not a good time so i think the number one thing that you should be taking away from anything that i said today is just understand that we're probably not at the beginning of the next pool market. You need to have patience to get to the next pool market without blowing up a significant amount of your capital and what we think is likely gonna be a phase two credit cycle downturn. So, you know, again, yeah, just risk manage your own emotions. Don't necessarily, you know, you don't even need to pay too much attention to data. To me, it's about your emotions. And I think everybody can do it. I, I believe in you.
1: That is a great note to leave us on, Darius. Keep that, keep that powder dry so you have something to work with when we get to that point. Darius, it's always great to see you. Thank you so much for being with us.
0: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.